Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. May 6th, 1999 was the last day Tyrone Kahn was planning to be a resident at the Kingston Penitentiary in Kingston, Ontario. At 32, he had already spent over half his life in institutions, and now he was facing a 47-year prison term for accumulation of offenses, including several armed bank robberies and previous prison escapes. Kingston Penitentiary was Canada's oldest prison and was supposed to be the country's most secure federal lockup. But that wasn't going to stop Ty Khan. Life inside the decrepit limestone penitentiary was predictable and routine a situation that Ty Khan planned to take full advantage of. He had his unofficial exit all planned down to the smallest detail, and it was now or never. Placing a dummy in his bed that morning, he then went to the canvas repair shop where he worked. But when the other inmates left for the day, Tyrone stayed hidden in the shop. The guards didn't miss him, and assumed he was in his bunk when final cell checks were done that evening. Emerging from a stack of canvas mailbags later that night, Tyrone assembled the tools he would need for his escape. A homemade ladder, a steel grappling hook, and a 40-foot length of rope to lower himself over the prison wall. Just after 11 p.m., When the guard in the southeast tower went off duty, Ty bolted from a loading dock attached to the canvas shop and dashed across the prison yard. He sprinkled cayenne pepper behind him as he ran to mask his scent from the German shepherd dogs patrolling the grounds. Then, using his crudely assembled ladder, he climbed the 32-foot high perimeter wall. Quickly, affixed the grappling hook at the top and scaled down the other side with the rope. It wouldn't be until the next morning that a maintenance worker would spot the dangling rope and alert prison officials. But by that time, Ty Khan would be long gone. He was the first inmate to escape Kingston Penitentiary in 41 years 
and he had no intentions of ever coming back. But just 14 days later, his short taste of freedom would come to a sudden end. And the promise he made to himself to never set foot in Kingston Pen, or any other prison for that matter, would be realized as he sat slumped in a chair in a dingy basement apartment in Toronto, dead from a single gunshot wound to the chest. And while it would be clear who pulled the trigger, there would be many more questions about who and what was ultimately responsible for his tragic death. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you the true life story of a man whose short life was almost predetermined from the moment of his birth. A soft-spoken, intelligent kid, abandoned by his family at an early age, he grew up a product of the system. Foster care, group homes, and juvenile detention centers. He learned how to survive the hard way and eventually developed a taste for stealing and running away. And by 17, he was robbing banks. But he never once harmed another person in the commission of his crimes. Sentenced to a lifetime behind bars, he broke out of almost every prison that tried to contain him. And then, his daring escape from the escape-proof Kingston Penitentiary turned him into an instant celebrity. He was the good-looking fugitive on the run. His story garnered huge media attention and a sympathetic response from the public. But his final taste of freedom would be short-lived, and the circumstances surrounding his death would leave a lot of questions unanswered. This is Escape from Kingston Penitentiary, The Life and Death of Tyrone Khan. Episode 2, Gone Fishing. Friday, May 7th, 1999, was shaping up to be a busy day for Marion Chamberlain, but she was looking forward to a few days off. Marion held down several part-time jobs, so any downtime was rare, but that weekend was Mother's Day, and she planned on enjoying it with her son Max and his new baby boy. Marion was loving being a grandmother. And in fact, she had just received a silly Happy Grandmother's Day card from her other son, Tyrone. Two weeks earlier, Marion had visited Ty at Kingston Penitentiary, where he was incarcerated. She always looked forward to their weekend trailer visits. It was the best they could do, given the circumstances, since it didn't look like Ty was getting out of prison for a very long time. Since reconnecting with Ty 14 years earlier, Marion had worked hard at maintaining a positive relationship with her eldest son. She had missed the first 18 years of his life and still felt guilt and shame for abandoning him so many years ago. But at the time, she was a naive young girl, and everyone told her 
It was in her son's best interest to let him go and have a chance at a better life with another family. Sadly, it turned out that Ty's childhood had been anything but ideal. The Picton Children's Aid Society had allowed him to be adopted into a dysfunctional family where he was abused and neglected. Then, five years later, like an unwanted dog, he was returned to the social services agency and dumped into the foster care system. And from that moment on, Ty's life became a series of locked doors and institutions. He learned to adapt by stealing and running away. And by the time he was 17, he was serving time in a federal penitentiary for armed robbery. But Marion didn't care. She knew her son was an intelligent and kind man who had never harmed any other person in his life. She loved Ty no matter what and was just hopeful that one day he would be able to turn his life around. Now, he was in Kingston Penitentiary, Canada's toughest prison, serving a 47-year sentence. But Marion had a new lawyer working on getting his sentence reduced and having him moved into a medium-security prison. If she had any wish for Mother's Day in 1999, it was to one day see Ty free. And in a strange twist of fate, Marion was about to get her wish when there was a knock at her door that Friday morning in May of 1999, she could hardly believe who was standing on the other side. It was Tyrone, and he had escaped from prison again. Ty had already escaped from another prison twice, and each time Marion had been sick with worry. She knew he was playing a very dangerous game, and one day, his luck might just run out. In 1985, 14 years before Tyrone Kahn broke out of Kingston Pen and showed up at his mom's house that Mother's Day weekend, he was well-versed in escaping and running. He'd been doing it most of his life. He had run from every foster home and institution he had ever been in. But by age 17, he had landed in a federal prison, a hellhole that few ever escaped from. Collins Bay Institution was a high-medium security facility on the outskirts of Kingston, Ontario, well known as a rough joint amongst the incarcerated community. It housed more than 450 inmates, many of whom were considered the most dangerous in the Ontario region. And its maximum security unit was nicknamed the Gladiator School. Ty was in the big leagues now, a federal penitentiary, and he would have three and a half years to adjust to his new, austere surroundings. After his first armed robbery conviction at 17... Ty had fallen into deep despair. The reality of his life had finally caught up with him, and he couldn't see any kind of positive future for himself. So he tried to kill himself. But he was unsuccessful and was put in solitary confinement for his efforts. He would have to figure another way out of his predicament. 
Ty had never given up hope of reconnecting with his adopted family. So once again, he reached out to the only father he had ever known, Dr. Bert Kahn. Dr. Kahn visited Tyrone in prison and informed him that he had finally initiated divorce proceedings against his wife after 27 years of marriage. He even apologized for the way Mrs. Kahn had treated Ty and said that he was hopeful that father and son could resume a positive relationship. What Dr. Kahn didn't tell Ty were some of the more shocking details of life in the Kahn household that had been revealed during contentious divorce proceedings. While Dr. Kahn had been conspicuously absent for most of the time Ty lived with the Kahns, it didn't mean he wasn't painfully aware of what was happening to his own children at the hands of his mentally unstable wife. In his divorce affidavit, Dr. Kahn revealed, quote, Loris Kahn frequently beat the children in cruel and sadistic ways. She struck them on their heads, pulled their hair, and kicked them. She humiliated and degraded the children with attacks against their personalities, looks, and sexual abilities, end quote. And even more shocking was the revelation that Mrs. Kahn had sexually abused their eldest son, Jeffrey, when he was a teenager. A damning accusation that Jeffrey himself acknowledged was true. The ugly reality of what had gone on in the Kahn family home had finally come out in a divorce court. But Dr. Kahn shared few of the details with his adopted son during their prison visit. As a child, Ty had been told he was the cause of tension in the family home. He was to blame for their dysfunction, so he had been sent back to children's aid. Now, the only family he had ever known was shattered beyond repair, and he was still not wanted. Dr. Kahn would never visit Ty in prison again. He had a new life and a new wife. There was no place for his adopted son. At 18, Ty had grown up virtually alone. And now he faced an uncertain future with little hope and no family support. But fortunately for Tyrone, there was still someone out there beyond the prison walls who loved him and she couldn't wait to meet him. In 1967, at the age of 16, Marion Wood walked away from her infant son, Ernie. After a failed marriage, she was ill-prepared to become a single parent at such a young age. But three years later, she returned, more mature, and ready to take on the responsibility of full-time motherhood. Sadly, she was too late. Her parents had given their grandson to the Picton Children's Aid, and he was gone. Adopted into another family, Marion had no choice but to move on with her life. Eventually, she remarried and had another son, but she never forgot about baby Ernie. So Marion set a date. On January 18, 1985, her son's 18th birthday, she would start looking for him. She didn't want to interfere in his life, 
but she hoped they could establish some type of relationship. Marion had always hoped and dreamed that her son had a good life with his adopted family. She wondered where he lived. Was he far away? And at 18, what was he doing? Maybe he was in college or starting out on a career. It turned out Marion didn't have to wait long for the answers to her many questions. And her firstborn son's life was far different than she could have ever imagined. On a warm summer day in late 1985, Marion Wood, now Marion Chamberlain, met her son for the first time. The infant she had known and loved as Ernest Bruce Hayes was now 18-year-old Tyrone William Kahn, and he was a convicted bank robber. Their reunion took place in the visiting room of Collins Bay Institution, and Tyrone had one question for his birth mother. Why? Why had she left him? It was the one question Marion dreaded, but over time, she would explain everything to him. It would be painful, but she wanted to tell him the truth. She wasn't going to let anything step in the way of re-establishing a bond with him. She had found her son again, and this time, she wasn't going to let him go. And sitting in that prisoner's visiting room in the summer of 1985 was someone else anxious to meet Ty Khan. Max Chamberlain was 11 years old when his mom told him he had a half-brother. Excited about having an older brother, Max was even more intrigued when he found out his new sibling was in jail. For an impressionable young boy, whose only exposure to prison life was from the television set in his living room, walking into Collins Bay was surreal. 36 years later, Max remembers the day he met his brother for the first time. I remember mom went in to see him first. She went in through the morning, and uh, I believe I was hanging around with dad, and uh, like in the malls and whatnot. And, uh, she came out, and she was, uh, you know, she was quite very happy you know she's like oh max you should come meet him i'm like well okay when she's like we can go in in the afternoon visit i, I remember the, like one of the first things you're telling me that uh oh he's got nice white teeth and a big old smile and she was very excited to, to meet him of course and uh one of the things is uh when we went in and met him you never know what to uh, expect I, I especially remember with the first time going in he had such an easy sort of way about him you know and an easy smile and uh he just, uh, you know, he didn't fit this hardened criminal sort of uh, aspect that people sort of would think of when they hear of a, a bank robber and, a, you know, an escape artist. Max and his mother continued to visit Ty in prison every chance they could. And it didn't take long for the new brothers to bond. Max would even bring Ty a special gift. When we'd have uh, trailer visits, we'd go get, because uh, I'm like, well, what do you want me to bring in? You know, like, a, you know, within reason, of course. Um, <laughs> what do you want? You know, I tried to bring him uh, cigars. It was funny because I'd have to go out and, and buy maybe six or seven of them to let the guards choose which ones that I could bring in. On December 1st, 1986, 
Tai was released from Collins Bay on mandatory supervision. And for the first time in a very long time, he had a real home to go to. Tai would be living with his mom, stepdad, and brother Max. Marion was thrilled that she would have Tai home for the holidays since she had never experienced a Christmas with her eldest son. But the happy family reunion would not last long. Tyrone Khan had been in and out of institutions since he was 11 years old. And now at 19 and finally free, he was anxious to experience many of the joys prison life had denied him. But Marion and her husband had rules in their house, like no alcohol and no heavy partying. But Ty was simply too restless. On New Year's Eve, he was stopped by the police on his way to a party. He was driving his stepdad's car with no license and with stolen plates. He had violated his parole and was unceremoniously shipped back to Collins Bay. Marion hoped Ty's lapse in judgment would be his last and he would gain a better appreciation of his new family and the realities of life on the outside. But after years of being institutionalized, Ty really only knew one way to survive. And he wasn't prepared to play by anyone's rules, except his own. Released from Collins Bay a month later, the ink had barely dried on his parole papers when Ty walked into a convenience store in Trenton, Ontario, with a loaded shotgun he had stolen from a Canadian tire store. Arrested in Ottawa a few days later, he was charged with armed robbery. His brief taste of freedom was gone, and he was heading back to federal prison. Ty was sentenced to six years, but he wouldn't be going back to the familiarity of Collins Bay. He was headed to a place much worse, Millhaven. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Located 10 miles west of Kingston, Ontario, Mill Haven Institution, widely known as the Haven, was built in the late 1960s and hastily opened after the 1971 Kingston Penitentiary Riot. It was the government's answer to a new kind of prison a super-maximum security facility resembling a concrete octopus. A sprawling fortress surrounded by prison towers and barbed wire fencing. It houses some of the worst criminals in the system and has had a turbulent history of violence and rioting. For a young, non-violent inmate like Ty Khan, Millhaven was an intimidating place. And he wasn't there long before he saw his first inmate killing. An inmate shot to death by guards during a prison fight. And it wouldn't be the last death Ty witnessed at Mill Haven. The Haven was brutal and unforgiving. And Ty knew he needed to get out of there before he became another fatality. So for the next year, he kept his head down followed the rules of the institution, and was eventually rewarded with a transfer back to Collins Bay. After ten years in and out of institutions and prison, Tyrone decided he needed to get his life on track. He had spent so many years alone, and now thoughts of an actual future were creeping into his consciousness. He didn't want much. A wife, children, a small house maybe even a dog. His simple dreams kept him motivated, but he knew if he was going to put his criminal past behind him, he needed to better himself. So, at 22, while still incarcerated, he finished his high school diploma. And he wasn't the only one in the family achieving academic success. In the spring of 1989, Ty's half-brother Max Chamberlain was also graduating from grade 8. Ty had already been allowed out on a few escorted day passes 
so prison authorities approved another pass to attend his brother's graduation ceremony. For Marion Chamberlain, having tie at Max's graduation was going to be extra special. So, on June 29th, a sunny summer day, Max and his parents waited in front of his school for Ty to arrive. But he never did. Max recalls that day. Basically, um, I was, um, you know, my grade 8 graduation from St. Mike's uh, Academy here in uh, Belleville. We had everything all set. I was like, wow, Ty was going to come out too. So I figured out, oh, that was going to be great. <laughs> That would be like the first time actually him outside, you know, interacting with the family at some an event. So I was pretty excited. So we waited around when, uh, you know, we were supposed to go in for the uh, the graduation. And, well, there was no tie. I was like, okay, well, we better go in. Maybe something changed. Max and his parents thought something had happened. Maybe Ty's day pass had been revoked at the last minute. But they later learned that wasn't the reason why Ty hadn't shown up at the graduation. I guess he managed to convince his entourage, the uh, guard, whoever was uh, uh, with him, that, uh, no, 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 we were meeting at a restaurant. So they met at a restaurant, and he excused himself to go to the bathroom or go make a phone call or something, and went AWOL. <laughs> the next thing we knew, we were, uh, you know, being contacted by the police saying, he's at large. So I'm like, well, <laughs> well then. You know, he being a younger brother at that point, you know, I'm just like, go, go, Tyron, you know, like, I was 100% for him. Ty had jumped out of the bathroom window at a Belleville restaurant and taken off. And while Max thought his brother's escape was cool, Marion was angry that Ty had used his brother's graduation as an opportunity to escape from his prison escort. But she was also worried. Ty Khan was a convicted felon on the run, and she knew the police would stop at nothing to capture him dead or alive. In the four years since Marion had reconnected with Tyrone, she had adjusted to visiting him in prison. She hated seeing him in there, but at least she knew where he was and that he was safe. Now she was having to adjust to a different reality, one in which she felt helpless. The police told her that she needed to turn him in if he contacted her. But as a mother, she was torn. Marion felt that she had betrayed him once when she left him as a baby. She wanted him to be safe, but how could she betray him again? But while the police kept a close watch on Marion's house, Tyrone was long gone. He had made his way to Toronto and Ottawa and had left a few banks short of cash before heading to Halifax, Nova Scotia. Learning that his biological father was from Newfoundland, Tyrone felt a special connection to the East Coast, and he intended on having a good time. But he eventually traveled back to Ontario and went to the one place he knew and felt safe, his mother's house. Marion was happy to see him, but he couldn't stay. That was putting them all at risk. He had a gun with him, but Marion removed the bullets and hid them. After he left, she learned that he had robbed a bank in a neighboring town. She couldn't help him now, and her mother's instinct told her what she had to do. Marion phoned the police. 
A few days later, Ty was arrested in Ottawa. His summer holiday was over. Marion drove to the Ottawa jail to see him. Tyrone was angry and wanted to know why she had turned him in. Her answer was simple. To save your life, she told him. Tyrone's summer adventure ended up costing him dearly. Eleven more years was added onto his sentence, which now totaled 18 years. He was sent back to Collins Bay Institution, where the other inmates treated him well and admired him for his escape. But the prison staff were less than welcoming. They were not happy that he had duped a fellow officer when he took off from a Belleville restaurant, and for that, he would have to pay. Ty had always been a model inmate, except for the escape, of course. But otherwise, he had rarely caused any problems. But now, back in Collins Bay, he was being written up for every minor infraction, and it didn't take long before he was thrown in the hole, solitary confinement. For 30 days, he sat in a windowless, concrete bunker. He thought back to his days in the digger at Brookside Training School and realized that one way or the other, he'd been in the hole for most of his life. Once again, he fell into a deep depression and began contemplating a way out. Suicide was always an option, but he wasn't going to give his jailers the satisfaction. If they were angry about his last escape, this time he was going to really piss them off. In 1990, Collins Bay was outdated and understaffed. Built in 1930, the federal penitentiary was in desperate need of improvements. New security measures had never been implemented and an institutional complacency ensured that guards and inmates, for the most part, followed the same daily routine. For Ty, routine meant opportunity. And with no place to go, he had all the time in the world to observe, study, and plan. He soon discovered a small, unused washroom with a window overlooking the prison courtyard. For months, he sawed at the bars using an old hacksaw blade. Then he stashed a long electrical cord that would serve as a rope. The only other thing he needed was a ladder. Using pieces of the bookcases from the prison library and other found items, Ty built a 20-foot ladder and hid it until he was ready to put it to use. At around 10.45 on the night of November 5th, 1991, emergency sirens pierced the cold, damp night on Bath Road on the outskirts of Kingston, Ontario. Something or someone had breached the perimeter wall at Collins Bay Penitentiary. Floodlights suddenly lit up the night sky, and the well-armed emergency response team quickly initiated their pre-rehearsed search of the prison grounds. They soon discovered a homemade ladder and an extension cord. It was painfully obvious that when they did a head count, there would be one less inmate residing 
in Collins Bay, and it didn't take long to figure out who was missing. Ty Khan had escaped again, but this time he'd left a note on the calendar in his cell. Gone fishing, it read. On the next episode of Escape from Kingston Penitentiary, The Life and Death of Tyrone Kahn. When Marion Chamberlain's phone rings one night in December 1991, she's relieved to hear her son, Ty, on the other end. For seven weeks, he's been on the run since his daring escape from Collins Bay. And according to the police, he's been on a crime spree. Three bank robberies in southeastern Ontario have been reported on the news, and numerous police forces are on the hunt for him. Marion just wants to know that her son is okay, but she quickly discovers that Ty has been caught. He's holed up in an apartment in Ottawa, and he's surrounded by a heavily armed tactical squad. Ty is cornered, and his options are few, but He's already serving an 18-year prison sentence, and if he goes back, it will be even longer. The last time he escaped, Marion turned him in, a mother's selfish act to keep her son safe. But now the stakes are even higher, and he's adamant he won't go back to prison. He's done with all the institutions that have controlled his life. Marion doesn't want to lose her son again, after waiting so long to find him. He's only 23, and she's not ready to give up on him having a better future. But can she convince her son to give himself up before it's too late? Escape from Kingston Penitentiary, The Life and Death of Tyrone Kahn, is written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. A special thank you to Max Chamberlain. This is the Story Hunter Productions podcast. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app, and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and 
potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.